0: Good evening to all of you. Uh, A a couple went on a date and uh, they were sitting and having the meal and uh, in between the man told the woman or man told that I I love you more than anything else in the world. So the the lady giggled and asked is that you speaking or the beer speaking? She said I'm speaking to the beer. (laughs) <laughs> we are going to look at First uh, Corinthians chapter 15, 1 Corinthians chapter 15 verse 9, 10 and verse 17, verse 9, 10 and verse 17, 1 Corinthians chapter 15 verse 9, 10 and verse 17, somebody can read that, John chapter 15 verse 9, 10 and 17, I was confused. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Verse 10. uh, Now remain in my love. Verse 10. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. love, Even as I have kept my Father's father's commands and uh, abide in his love. Verse 17. Can't hear This is my commandment, love one another, love each other, alright? So we are going to talk about the topic of abiding in love, okay, abiding in love. Uh, Jesus actually begins this conversation in chapter 13, verse uh, 1 and uh, verse 2 actually, uh, verse 1 and 2, somebody can... Uh, one, okay, read verse 1, chapter 13, verse 1. Having loved his own, loved his own who, were in the world, who were in the world, he now showed them the full extent of... His of his love. Isn't that an amazing statement? He loved his own who are in the world and he loved them to the limit, to the fullness of divine capacity, both in terms of quality of his love and the endlessness of his love. He loved them to the end, to the ends, to the eternity of eternity. So it is a love that knows no qualitative limit and a love that knows no quantitative limit to a degree that it is eternal. His love is eternal. What a limitless, vast, amazing love this is. That's where he begins. Romans 5.5 says, the last portion and the love of God is poured out into our hearts by the Holy Spirit. This love, this limitless love, this love that God loves us with this eternal capacity. I, I don't know how we can ever understand this. He has poured it out into our hearts. He has poured it out into our hearts. Have you experienced that love? You experience that love when you abide in him. When you abide in him, his love flows through you and in you. It's a limitless, eternal love. That's what Jesus tells his disciples. You know, right in the world, we have many, many couples who love each other. Right? Yes or no? Or do you think only the brethren couples love each other? <laughs> huh? Somebody said in the brethren there is no brotherly love. <laughs> there is love in the world, right? Yes or no? Yes. People are sa- sacrificial love. You can see that uh, in the world. But when we are talking of this love when we are talking of this love, this is a love that only transformed lives can experience and exhibit. Only transformed lives, only lives that have been changed by the Lord Jesus Christ and the presence of the Holy Spirit in us can love this, this, this kind of love. It's called agape love. We can see, you know, Different kinds of love in the world, and they are beautiful, beautiful pictures, but there is nothing like this love. It cannot exist without God empowering us and God working in our lives. So, Jesus says, You abide in this love, and then He goes on to say, You love one another. He goes on to say, You love me if you keep my commandments. And what is my command? love one another so if you are abiding in love in this love in this limitless love in this love that's eternal what kind of love will you be loving each other with that very same love now in the next few minutes this is what I want to communicate to you what does that love look like what does that love look like when we exhibit it to each other? That's what I want to do with God's help and grace, and um, I hope and pray that we will be able to finish what uh, I have to. Uh, I, I like to commit. So you come to the first Corinthians chapter thirteen. That's why I was confused with first Corinthians fifteen. Okay, come to first Corinthians chapter thirteen. The greatest letter on love the greatest letter on love we are going to look at that and we will with God's grace and help in the coming days ec- exhibit out or, or bring it out practically in our relationship with each other now we have to understand Paul is writing this letter not to a church that is loving you see, he's not writing to a church that is... right. Li- see, sometimes we use this chapter to read in weddings. That's not why Paul wrote it. Okay, that's not why Paul wrote it. Paul wrote it to a church that was messy. Messy in their relationship with each other. There was pride. There was pride that, you know, I got a better gift. Yours is not a so great gift. There were divisions. There were boasting. There were all kinds of interpersonal relationship issues in this church it was a messy church it was a messy church they had everything uh, uh, except love it seems and so Paul is writing to them and saying this is how love looks like you are exactly opposite to what I am writing this is how you need to live this is how you need to exhibit the love that Jesus showed you that love that eternal love with which he, he loved you he loves you till the end. That kind of love. If you are filled with that, this is how your love is going to be. So that's what he's saying in First Corinthians uh, chapter thirteen. So we'll come to First Corinthians chapter thirteen, and uh, we will see a few things. Foundationally, let me tell you something. All right, just to put lay a foundation. There is a formula that Paul brings up out with us. Okay, the formula is this. Everything minus love is equal to nothing alright did you get that everything minus love is zero nothing nothing plus love is equal to everything that's what he says in this chapter you may have gifts this gift that gift all kinds of gift But if there is no love, you are what? Sounding symbol. You are just a noise. It is love that makes everything. Without love, everything is nothing. That's what he says foundationally. And then he goes on to explain to us what love is. So come to verse 4. The first thing he says is, Love is patient and love is kind. These are the only two positive things he tells about love. The rest is all negative. Alright? Actually eight negative things he says after this two positive things. Okay? Love is patient. Love is kind. And then what does he say? It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor. It is not self-seeking. It not easily angered. It does not keep uh, record of wrong. It does not delight in the evil all negative. But Paul is saying love is not envy. But what is in your what is found in your church? Envy. Love does not keep record. But what do you find in you, amongst you? People who are keeping records. Love is not irritable. How is it between our relationships? You are irritated with one another so love is not like what you are exhibiting love is different. that's what he's trying to communicate so let's look at this uh, love is patient thing and then come to kindness and a few other things all right so love is patient you know somebody said if you want to look at patience you have to look at the Lord Jesus Christ. Somebody was asked when you look. When you read through the Gospels, how do you see Jesus? He says, I, Jesus, "I see Jesus as relaxed." Somebody said that's not a spiritual word to use for Jesus. <laughs> but he says the way he lived his life was relaxed, no hurry, no no urgency. He hears that his friend Lazarus is sick. Sick. What does he do? What does he do? He stays back four days. <laughs> no hurry. He is born. He is dedicated. At the age of twelve, we see something about him, an incident about him. The rest of his life is what? Not known until he is how old? Thirty. He is not in a hurry. Jesus is not in a hurry. He is relaxed. Once he goes into in this boat, and there's a storm that comes. Storm that comes. Everybody is scared. Well, what is Jesus doing? Sleeping. Sleeping. <laughs> Next time if your wife wakes you up from sleep, tell her, I'm trying to be just like Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> he was never in a hurry. He was relaxed. He was patient. You look at his disciples, if were any other guru, they would have thrown them out. <laughs> Useless fellows. Only oh, he of little faith. He taught them. And, and when the situation came, he had, did you understand? No, he didn't understand. They were fighting with each other. Who was the greatest? But did Jesus give up on them? No, he was patient. Did Jesus say, send you over and get a new crop of people? Did he say that? No, he was patient look at the life of Jesus you see this picture of a patient man not in a hurry at the right time he does things exactly according to God's plan even his death there was no hurry people wanted to kill him much earlier in fact once people wanted to kill him on a hilltop and we read Jesus walked in the midst of them (laughs) no tension is calm. He is not impatient. He just walks away from them. So, as you look at Jesus, it is not teeth-gritting endurance that he expresses. It's not this uptight, st- stressed out kind of uh, patience that he's it's not like the end of the rope kind of patience that uh, he is exhibiting. It's not that Jesus lived in pleasant circumstances. Did Jesus live in pleasant circumstances? No. He didn't live in pleasant circumstances, but he was telling us through his life, love is patient. Love is patient. Patience is one of the most underrated virtues. In leadership, they think it's a negative thing to be patient. You have to be aggressive. You know? Because people in the world think that, or even the churches think that being patient is like being a wimp. It's like not being accountable somehow. Somebody explain patience like that. Patience is the ability to dwell gladly in the present moment when you would prefer not to. Patience is also translated in another word called long suffering. Long suffering. You bear somebody for long time. That is patience. Love has the ability to suffer difficulty for a long time and not stop loving. That is long suffering. You see, impatience is, you think, is a small word. It's a trivial thing you may think. But it will kill your prayer life. It will mess up your relationship with your family, your kids. It will lead you to a shallow life, not a deep Christian life. Impatience is is not a virtue you should be having. It will make you not finish your assignment. It will make you not stick to your diet. It will not make you stay in your marriage. It will not make you honor your commitments. It will not make you stay in your budget. It will not make you obey God in your sexual behavior. Because I want what I want when I want it. Love is patient and long-suffering. Patience is a virtue. And God is calling us to be patient in our love with one another. You know how a pearl is made? Pearl? You know how a pearl is made? This shell, there is an irritant that goes in. Irritant. And how does the shell uh, uh, adjust itself from this irritant? It starts secreting out a substance called nacre. And one layer after another layer, hundreds of layers is made. This shining, lustrous, uh, you know, small ball is formed. Where hundreds of these things, whenever the irritation takes place, this secretion comes out and it covers it. Covers this irritant. It's they say that it takes almost twenty years for a pearl to be formed. So, for this pearl to produce something beautiful, it needs an irritant and it, it needs it. It needs time. That's how patience works. Irritant comes into our life and how we handle that irritant how we handle that irritant will bring out something beautiful patience is like a pearl it takes time and it takes an irritant maybe you are sitting next to your irritant oh <laughs> You got it a bit late, but <laughs> you got it. <laughs> if you don't have an irritant, anybody, if you don't have an irritant, ask Brother George, can you send some irritants? <laughs> <laughs> if if Seaboard if cannot send you something, come to there We'll send you, we'll give you some. Irritant in time. Love is patient. Is God building patience into you? Is there an irritant in your life? Bring something out beautiful, something lustrous, something every time that irritates you, you, you cover it up with love, with patience. And over time, you'll have a beautiful pearl. Paul says, love is patient. And then he says, love is kind. Kind. Now, long su- su- it's part of long-suffering. Uh, patience and kindness is part of long-suffering. Uh, patience is the passive aspect of long-suffering, and kindness is the action part of long-suffering. Alright? Let me show, show you that uh, with an illustration. Second Samuel chapter 9, verse 1. King David has won all his wars. He is at peace. So chapter 9, verse 1, what is he asking? Please read. Is there anyone anyone left of the house of of? Saul to whom I could could show kindness? Number one. Wait, wait, wait. Who was Saul to David? Who was Saul to David? An irritant. He irritated him and troubled him for years together. He had to hide and hide in caves. He had the opportunity to kill him. Yes or no? Did, did he have the opportunity to kill Saul? He had a once, twice. But did he kill him? No. He wouldn't lay his hand on him. Love is patient. Now here, when he is the king, When battles are settled on, he is asking this question. What is he asking? Who is there in the family, in the house of Saul, to whom I can show what? Kindness. This is amazing. David understood what love was. show kindness do you need education is there a behind kindness no you don't need education do you need money to show kindness no you don't need money to shy- show kindness so in church in church you need to be looking at people with what attitude kindness. is there anybody I can show kindness Is there anybody I can show kindness? That's the kind of life as a church we should be living. Not self-centered life, but this life that constantly seeks out people to whom I can show kindness. Because that is an expression of love. Love that is poured down into your heart. That love, that eternal love, that love that Jesus loved us to the uttermost. Love is patient. Is there somebody you need to be patient with, dearly beloved? Is there somebody you should be showing kindness to? Pray and ask God to give you the grace and to produce this kindness. You see, hurry, this hurried life that we have, isn't it a hurried life in Bangalore? Yes or no? This hurried life we have, you see, when you are in a hurry, you don't notice people. Somebody said, relaxed people look at people or look and hurry people, people overlook. You look at Jesus' life. He never overlooked her. He's walking down on the road to Jericho and suddenly he looks up. Who's there? Who's there? Zacchaeus is there. He notices Zacchaeus sitting on a tree. If you and I were there and people were surrounding us, Will you look anywhere else? <laughs> Will you look up? See who is that with the need? Will you do that? No. But Jesus was not in a hurry. He came to love you and me to the uttermost, the scum of the world. They rejected. He has time for you. He had time for Zacchaeus. He had time for a for an woman would come to you know, take water in the afternoon. Jesus notices that. She goes and has a conversation with her. The disciples come and they are thinking, why is Jesus talking to this woman? But he had time for that woman. Patience looks at people. They look at people. You, when you come to church you look at people, you will see if their shoulders are... Drooping. What is that? What does that tell you? What that should that tell you? There is an issue. Maybe I should talk to this person. If a person is sad, do you, can you recognize the person is sad coming to church? If you are a patient person, you notice. Jesus noticed you should constantly be looking to see whom can I show kindness ok let me move because I have a lot of thing to cover uh, the next thing that we read in 1st uh, Corinthians chapter 13 is love does not what? envy love does not envy uh, let me show you some of the problems that were in the Corinthian church so you had to come to 1st Corinthians chapter 3 1st Corinthians chapter 3 read verse 3 Read verse 3, 1 Corinthians 3, 3. We are talking about envy now. Alright? Or you are still the flesh. You are still in the flesh and you are still worldly, huh? For a while there is jealousy and strife among you. There is jealousy and strife among you or you have envy. huh? Are you not of the flesh and behaving only in a human way? Are you not worldly? That's what this, he's saying. So the believers in Corinth, uh, Corinth were what kind of people? What? Worldly people. Now, what kind of people is CBF? <laughs> if there is an envy amongst you and jealousy, then you are worldly. That's what Paul is telling uh, the Corinthian believers. Verse 21, second problem. One was, they was worldly and full of envy. Okay, second problem, verse 21. Verse 21 quickly. So let no one boast in men. Okay. Second problem was the believers in Corinth were what kind of people? Boasting. People who were boasting. Okay. First Corinthians chapter 4 verse 6. Chapter 4 verse 6. Third no problem. Uh, another translation said, "Do not be puffed up." Does it come? Yeah. Puffed up. What does this puffed up mean? Close. Like a balloon. No. What do you do? You pump air, and wh- how does a balloon look? Puffed up. puffed up. But the balloon is full of hot air. One pin prick, and what happens? Pssst. But there are people, believers in the Corinth church, who are what? puffed. puffed up. This is the Corinthian church. Look at what Paul says in First Corinthians, chapter eight. First Corinthians, chapter eight, verse six. Eight, verse six, is it? No, no. Uh, uh, knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. 1 Corinthians 8 verse one. 1 verse 1 Read that Knowledge puffs up While Love edifies Love edifies Or builds up You see Knowledge puffs you up But what does love do? It edifies It builds up So this were the problems That were in The Corinthian church he says, looks at her, and says, this is not what love is like. Love is, that's not envy. It's the opposite of envy. Love is the opposite of envy. You're worldly. This is how the world will uh, have the re- relationship with each other. Envious of each other. That's the, the, the pattern of the world. That should not be in the church. This is opposite way of behavior. This is not love. In fact, five times Paul says, love is not like this, love is not like this. A community that builds up each other, where there is no envy but love, that's the kind of community CBF should be. If you are abiding in God's love, you will build up people. You'll not be envious of people because what envy does is damaging. What envy does is damaging. Envy is, in many ways, not just a sin. It is the opposite of love. A person whom you love is enhanced by the well-being of the others. So if you love somebody, you want to see that person being enhanced. But what does envy do? What does envy do? You want that person to be diminished. That's what envy does. Love constantly wants to build up. And make compare I compare myself to, with the other person and I want them to be torn down. I want to open them. And Paul is telling us here, you know you can't struggle and get envy out of your heart and jealousy out of you. you can't struggle and get it out of you. you can't work out a plan. there is no formula to take out envy out of your heart or out of your or, or mind. You have to replace it with love. You have to replace it with love. There is no other way envy will come out of you beloved. You have to replace it with love. Where love is present, envy cannot. There is no room for envy to grow. Sometimes we think, no, we don't envy people who are far away. Okay, that's not the nature of envy. You envy people who are close to you, who are in your world. Okay, you don't want to envy somebody in America. You envy somebody. Who is surrounding you? That, that's that's one of the nature of envy. It's somebody who's close to you that you envy. Maybe all kinds of envy can be in our hearts. People who are smarter than us. We envy them. People who's better looking than us. People who are more extroverted than us. A Bible teacher was better than me. Do you think Bible teachers don't have envy issues? What do you say? You don't know? You are not a preacher, is it? Okay. (laughs) Let me tell you, from experience, when somebody else is preaching, I always think I could preach better than him. And some of us, in our prayer, will add all the points he (laughs) missed out. Envious heart, I am puffed up, too puffed up to admit my envy. In fact, how many of you uh, don't struggle with envy? Put your hands up. This is an amazing church. You guys do, don't have issue with envy, then I envy you. <laughs> don't with uh, I mean, if you, you're not struggling with an issue of envy, I'm asking. So I do uh, Then put your hand up. No. Okay, technically they are catching me. (laughs) Okay, if you are having issues with me, please put your hand up. Okay, that's better. I think not comfortable here. (laughs) There was this uh, Samuel Roberts, he is a 19th century British poet there was a duke whom they were introducing uh, he was a very talented man very wealthy man has a promising future and they were saying flowery things about him and as they were saying somebody passed and this Samuel uh, Robertson uh, thank God he has got bad teeth <laughs> you somehow want the person you envy anyway to have something you know bad with that with that person anyway put people down. It doesn't build up. You remember the story of Cain and Abel? Remember the story of Cain and Abel? You remember that story? I'm not going back to it, but I'll, maybe I'll talk about it. Okay? Cain and Abel. They offered sacrifices. Whose was uh, accepted? Abel's. Why? Because he had intimacy with who? With God. He had intimacy with God. And Cain didn't have intimacy with God. He didn't know God. He didn't know what would please God. But Abel knew. And he offered this sacrifice on the basis of his deep, intimate love for the Lord. His his sacrifice is accepted. Cain's is not. And so, he is what? Angry. He is jealous. And God in His grace comes to him. And what does He say to him? What does God say to him? Cain, why is your face downcast? Why are you sad? If you do the right thing, then not your uh, sacrifice have been accepted? And then God tells him. You know, sin is what? Crouching at your door. You see, je- envy and jealousy is like a wild animal trying to take hold of you. But you have the choice. Okay? You have the choice to do what? To do what? To so, say no to envy and jealousy. To not allow it a foothold in your life. You have that chance. Jesus, God is coming and telling Cain. You, you, you take hold of this. Or it will take hold of you. But we see silence. Cain doesn't talk to God about his issue. He doesn't sit with his brother and talk about his issue. There is Silence. He allows this enemy to take hold of him. And then what does he do? He murders his brother. And then God comes to him and he tells one very very sad statement. What does God tell him? Your brother's blood is crying out from the earth. Just imagine that. The earth that God made the person that God loved has been killed and his blood has been received by this world. That's not what the earth was made for, was it? No. He's crying out to God. I, for a moment, just imagine the heart of God. People whom they have envied and tried to destroy. Their distrust, their cry has gone up to God. Would that pain God? Will that pain, God? Tell me. Will that pain, God? You keep him quiet. Will that pain, God? Just imagine how much the pain is multiplied in God's heart because of our envy and our jealousy, and what we are doing to people because of that. The whole Bible is full of people struggling with envy. You know? It's not only Cain and Abel. There is Sarah and Hagar. There is Isaac and Ishmael. There is Jacob and Esau. There is Leah and Rachel. There is Joseph and his brothers. There is Miriam and Aaron and Moses. God says people are preaching the gospel out of and envy. Envy is powerful of human nature. But dearly beloved, you remain have the transforming power of the love of Jesus abiding in us? Should we be in vain? No. Envy should be replaced by what? Love. See, Let the transforming power of the Lord Jesus Christ, as you abide in Him, transform your heart. Remove this envy from you. Our love is present and we cannot take root. Let me quickly come to the next one. The next one says, love is not irritable. Is that right? First Corinthians chapter 13, love is not irritable. Which verse is that? Verse 4, love is not irritable. Is life filled with irritants? Is our life filled with irritants? Yes or no? It is. Let me give you a few illustrations. You are going to work. And in Bangalore, the traffic is so terrible. And the guy in front of you is driving as if he has the whole day before him. (laughs) And what happens to you inside? You are irritated, you are irritated, literally irritated. Hannah? Right? So you have all kinds of situation today that is before us that constantly irritates us. Notice, it doesn't say love does not get angry. Anger is an emotion that we experience when our will is frustrated. The purpose of anger is to receive energy to deal with our frustration. Now listen, irritability is not an emotion. It is a mood. Okay? There is a difference between mood and an emotion. Let me explain that to you. Irritability is a mood. Moods are long lasting than emotions. Uh, Mood is a predisposition. Or a tendency to have a certain kind of emotion. Generally speaking, there are two kinds of emotion. two uh, types of mood. One is good mood and the other is a bad mood. A bad mood or moodiness is deeply related to your spiritual condition. So when transformation has to take place in you, it's not the emotion we are dealing with, it is the mood that has to be transformed. The mood has to be transformed. In managing our sinfulness, transformation must take in our minds. Suppose, okay you, you are with this thinking that you are filled with the thought of God that how generous and glorious he was to create this beautiful universe. How gracious he was to choose me out of all the people in the world to make me his own. How he came from heaven and he died on that cross to take away my sin. And I'm filled with wonder at not only his death but at his resurrection how he victoriously won over death how his eyes is on you, how you are more precious than sparrows, how he has promised to take care of you, how he is preparing a place for you in heaven. If you are filled with all of these thoughts, will you be in a good mood? Or bad mood? You will be in a good mood. You will be in a good mood. So, what happens in an, when you are in an irritable mood? What happens when you are in an irritable mood? Your thoughts are negative kind of thinking, irritable thoughts, thoughts that will bring irritation in you. So, who has the control of what kind of thoughts should be in your mind? Who has that control? Who has that control? You have that control. You have that control, what kind of thoughts you can allow into your mind and what kind of thoughts you... Or want to keep out of man? You have that capacity. An irritable person is predisposed to get angry. A habitual if you habitually dwell on irritation-producing thoughts, you will be an irritated, it irritation irritated person. Okay, I'm not going, giving you, going to give you uh, examples for that. But if you are constantly in an irritated mood, it will destroy your marriage. It will damage your children. It you will. Be prone to hostility and violence. And Paul says, love is not irritable. It's the opposite of irritable. It doesn't get irritated. And irritated, if you come to verse 5, and the end of it, it tells you why you are irritable. Read the last portion of verse 5. Love does not keep records of wrong. Why are you irritated with a particular person? Because in your mind you have a record of the things that that person has done against you. We are record keepers. We are record keepers. Whether you like it or not, we are record keepers. We keep records. And one of the things that we keep record of is of the wrong things people have done against you. And then that is brought up in your mind. Emotions are aroused in you and you get irritated with that person. So what is the answer? The answer is to keep record. We We will keep record, but what kind of record you should be keeping? Record of good things. Record of something that person had done that has blessed you not negative things but things that are good and right it is that kind of record we must be keeping in our mind philippines chapter 4 verse 8 read philippines 4 8 what's my time huh 10 minutes more okay quickly Finally brothers whatever is true whatever is true whatever is noble whatever is noble whatever is right whatever is right whether is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. You see? That's where you have to begin to think these kind of thoughts. Then you'll not be an irritable person, you'll not be in an irritated mood. What kind of mood you'll be in? A good mood. And you can love freely. Love is not irritated. You remember, uh, again, I to, uh, we talked about Saul. You remember, he was attacking uh, David because he was envious in his heart. David does not take revenge. But later on, he tells, you know, whom can I show? kindness to and who, who came up Nephi said come up and if you read that story in chapter nine, Second Samuel 4 times it is mentioned and Nephi said 8 at the king's table 4 times that is written Nephi said at the king's table why would David do this? in Psalm 23 he says the Lord is my shepherd I lack nothing and then in, he goes on to say you prepare a table for me in the presence of my enemies. Then it says, love doesn't get irritated. I'll call my what at home. I'll feed him. Everybody will think he's my enemy. He's my former enemy's son, a uh, grandson. He's the rival to the throne. But I'll take him home. I will tell him, love is patient. Love is kind. Love endures all things. Love is long-suffering. Love keeps no record of wrong. Love is not heritable. David is telling my people, I love you. God has given me this grace to overlook all the negative things your grandfather has did. Those are not my thoughts. They are not what is going on in me. What's going on in my mind is how gracious God has been to me. And so I'm filled with the love of God and I want to transfer that to you. I'll take you home. I'll feed you. That's the kind of life you and I should be living daily, Brother, Let me give you an illustration. An illustration. Okay. A group of addicts, okay, they're on a boat called Recovery in the sailing to uh, a land called Sovereignty sobriety to freedom from morals and to moral sanity and there is this woman Mary who who comes late to the dock and the ship is left she comes running and the the ship is gone and people shout jump Mary jump so Mary jumps into the river river and she tries to swim she cannot swim she is sinking down why she is holding on to this rock she is holding on to this rock And they shout from the boat, Drop the rock, drop the rock. The rock is her resentments, her bitterness. The rock is her pride. The rock is her stubbornness. She thinks to herself, If I don't have this rock, who will I be? My rock is what makes me feel superior than the person who has wronged me. My rock is my excuse for my miserable life. If I let go of that rock, what can I have for my miserable life and then in a moment of sanity which is a gift from God she recognizes this rock has ruined my life, it's taken everything from me I've lost everything because of this rock let me let it go and she lets it go and then she feels a, light, a lightness and she swims and gets into the board and then she sees another, they see another person running and coming. They say, jump, he jumps. They say, let go of the rock. And they say, Mary shouting louder, let go of the rock. My dear little beloved, are you carrying a rock? Rock of resentment, rock of bitterness, rock of t- memories of what people have done against you. And am let it go. Let it go. If you want to be released, and if you want to become a person, let Jesus Christ to love people. Let it go. Let the love go. That's what God is calling you to. My final thought. Love, always trust. Verse 8 to 13. I'll quickly try and finish this. There are three things Paul tells us in this last portion from verse 8 to 13. He says, Love is supreme. Love is supreme. Love is the it's the core of everything. Alright? The essence or the internal center of something or the intrinsic nature of something or the indispensable quality of something is determined by its core. Okay? So what Paul is telling, the core of God is not Holiness. The core of God is not his omnipotence. The core of God is not his omniscient. The core of God is what? Love. And everything else emanates from that. So love is supreme, he says. Because the core and the center of who God is, is love. And something you and I need to understand, dearly beloved. In our Christian life, the core, are should be love. Should be this person you are made into because of the law of God has been poured into you because you are that love. And everything else should come out of that. So love is supreme. And then he says, love is personal. How much time do I have? Five minutes. Love is personal. If you come to 1 Corinthians 13, quickly come. Uh, verse, uh, uh, 10, he says, verse 10, what does he say? Verse 9, what does he say? For we, so were we now in part, we, we in prophesy part. in part, but when perfection comes, ah. the imperfect disappears. Okay. Verse okay. 7, what does he say? When I was a child, okay. I okay. 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 What is happening here? What is happening? What is this a in man? He's using the word we, we, we. Correct? But when it comes to 10, what is the word he is using? I... First person (laughs) plural. What he is telling is, you want to know what love looks like? You look at me. I am a perfect example of what this amazing love of Calvary has done. I am the perfect example. Acts chapter 7. Stephen is murdered. Who is holding the clothes of people who are murdering him? Saul. He's giving he, he is appreciating what they are doing. And if you read chapter 9, he's going about killing Christians. He's pulling people from their houses, men and women, and killing them. But on the road to Damascus, who did he meet the Lord Jesus. And this very same Paul, this destroyer and the killer of people, he writes 1 Corinthians chapter 13. He says, how do you think I can write 1 Corinthians chapter 13? Because I have come into an encounter with this love. The love of the Lord Jesus Christ. I have come into an encounter with him. Have you come into an encounter with him, dearly beloved? Because if you have come, your life will be transformed. Paul is saying, this was me. You see, this love is personal. It transforms you, no matter who you are, no matter what you have done, or what has happened to you in the past. God is able to heal. This is personal, this love is personal. And finally, he goes on to say, this love is eternal. He says, there are three virtues. What are they? Faith, hope, and love. What is going to last? What is going to last? Love. This love is eternal. And be there for it. Everything will pass away. Everything will pass away. Nothing will remain. Nothing will last. Except this one thing. What? So what should you be pursuing? What should you be pursuing? Love. We should be pursuing love. Our church should be a place where love is exhibited. Oh that we know this love, the love of Christ. He loved them until, to the uttermost. And we don't know that love. I'll close with this verse. Ephesians, uh, Ephesians, there are things I had to tell but I'm skipping them. We'll close with this. Ephesians chapter 3. This is what I want you to do. CBF, this is what I want you to do. Ephesians chapter 3. Okay, chapter three, verses sixteen onwards. Six, I pray that I pray that out of His glorious riches, out of the glorious riches, He may strengthen you with power. He may strengthen you with power through His Spirit in your inner being. Through, through His Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your heart. So that Christ may dwell in your heart through faith. Through faith, and I pray, and I pray that you being rooted and you being rooted and established, established love. in what? love. May have power. You may have the power together with all the saints. Together, as CBF, today, to do grasp by wide, how and low, how and high, how deep is, the, and high love. Deep is love. the love of Christ? Do that together as a church. Do that together as a church. Together, that you would see the wonder of the love of God the height and the width and the depth and the length of his love. What a glorious church this would turn to be. I pray that God through his spirit will help you to do that. Love is the only thing that lasts, dearly beloved. Shall we pray? Shall we pray? Shall we close our eyes and shall we pray? For a moment, I want you to think on what you have heard. Just allow God's word to move your heart this evening. And if you are carrying a stone of resentment, of bitterness, of envy, of pride... let me tell you you can't move far in your Christian walk so will you think of those things and will you bring them to the Lord Jesus Christ this evening and tell him I am putting all this Lord Jesus at your feet I want to be set free I want to be free to love people like you love me help me Lord in a moment of quietness I wanted to, you know, search your hearts of people whom you have put down, whom you wanted to see finished, not built up, because you have a heart issue. Bring it to God. Bring it into the presence of the Lord. And let Mary drop it at his feet and ask him to liberate you. He will do that. He will do that. So in a quietness, have a talk with the Lord and I will close with a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for speaking to us. Your word is sharper than a two-edged sword. It cuts deep, Lord. It cuts deep. It goes right deep to the core of our being. And it exposes who we are. But we thank you. You don't leave it at that. You bring healing. You bind. You heal. You restore. And I pray, You will restore such people who have opened their heart to you, Lord, and who have placed their burdens into your hands. Set them free, Lord Jesus. And may your love, through your Holy Spirit, just fill them at this very moment, Lord Jesus. The presence of your Holy Spirit may just fill them with your love, that Calvary's love, that John chapter 13 was one love. The love with which Jesus loved us. To the uttermost, that love will fill their hearts and empower and strengthen and enable them to be people who love. To this end, we commit every present here, including myself. And we thank you that you have heard our prayers and you will work in our hearts. We give you glory and thanks and we ask this prayer in the precious name of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. Thank you.